0: You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org slash sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. My name is Manny, or Emmanuel Boston, and this is uh, really the second time I've stood before most of you, although last week it was uh, down a couple stairs and uh, I was saying hello for the first time. Uh, This time I have the privilege and the responsibility of opening up God's Word for you. It is a daunting task, uh, not made lesser by The fact that this is my, uh, the first time many of you have heard me speak words more than simply hello or good morning or nice to see you. Um, In some ways, this represents who I am or my heart for you. Uh, And so it is, uh, again, a daunting thing to open up the word of God, which has been spoken through the prophets and through his son uh, and then given to us through generations, but nonetheless, it is my task and it is one of my great joys. And so, as I look out at you this morning, and as I know that there are others who are not able to join us but are uh, online or maybe uh, through the television throughout the week, I give God thanks for allowing me this opportunity. Um, I'm from California, and so you might forgive me for wearing jeans like Matt does. Um, or you might forgive me from some of my colloquialisms that don't quite match up, um, or perhaps my lack of accent, or maybe to you it is an accent. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I, I come from a far away place, the golden land of California, which is not nearly as golden as you would like to think, uh, and not nearly as beautiful as the land of Alabama, uh, if all truth be told. There are oceans and there are mountains, but there's also a lot of concrete and desert rocks. Uh, The desert can be beautiful, and in fact, I grew up in a desert. Uh, There were beautiful sunsets, which you could see uh, for miles without any obstruction. Uh, Beautiful pink and golden uh, purple hues that fill the sky, and and you're able to to simply watch as the the haze and the cloud uh, settles with a lack of fog. Uh, or lack, rather, of smog, uh, but being able to see the beauty of God's creation in the desert. But Alabama has some beautiful sights as well. Uh, Alabama has trees, and it has rivers, and it has streams and creeks, uh, and it has uh, uh, hills upon hills upon hills of tree after tree after tree, Uh, My mother is actually visiting this week, and and one of the first things that she said to us was, all the trees, there are many trees. Um, In California, there are mountains and some large ones. Uh, Not quite like Colorado or Utah, but they're significant enough to see from a great distance and to recognize their immensity, their weight, their gravity, and and the stability that they offer. Uh, There's a lot of hills in Alabama, but maybe not quite as many mountains. Uh, maybe you'd have to go a little bit north to be able to see those and to appreciate more fully what the mountains can do for us as we, as we consider our great God. But nonetheless, mountains are significant for us because our text this morning is Psalm 104. Our text is Psalm 104. Today is the celebration of Pentecost, And if you're familiar with that term, you know that it is the day where uh, Christ, having been seated at the right hand of the Father, sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and it rested upon his disciples. Uh, A great wind rushed into the room, and tongues of fire rested upon each of the apostles, and they began speaking in languages which they did not know, to proclaim the gospel to the nations that had arrived in Jerusalem and Galilee and beyond. This is the day of Pentecost, where we, as mentioned in the prayer that we prayed earlier, uh, the collect for the day, or, or the, the prayer of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit came to illumine, came to bring light, to, came to show us what Jesus Christ had done. And it is a significant event. It's a new event that, that differentiates what has occurred in the past, before Jesus came, even the point of Jesus and what he did while he was here. But Jesus himself said, it is better that I go away because if I go away, I can send you my spirit and I will be with you always. And so today we celebrate that day, the day that the Holy Spirit came from Jesus and rested upon his apostles and then through their word was proclaimed and rested upon each of the people who became disciples, baptized in water and the Holy Spirit. Our text for today is Psalm 104, and it's one that many people throughout, uh, throughout the history of Christianity, throughout the history of the church, have tied closely to the Spirit. You might imagine as you approach this text that you were uh, a Hebrew who had uh, exited the land of Egypt in the exodus, And you've come across a journey of wilderness and desert. Uh, You were perhaps a child when you exited, crossing the Red Sea. And you witnessed your parents and your uncles and your grandparents disobey the word of God through the prophet Moses. And so you were cursed to walk the land for 40 years. But after 40 years, you stand at the bank of the Jordan River and you can look beyond and you can see the other side and you know that that land, the land of Canaan, is the land that God promised, and it is the land you will inherit. And so, with Joshua and the other Israelites around you, you march across the Jordan River, you march around the city of Jericho, and you see the walls fall down. You begin to take hold of the land that God has provided for you through, through uh, at times war, but surprisingly often through um, through allies or through uh, treaties like the people of Ai who come to you and say, we don't want to do war with you because we have seen how great your God is. We want to have peace with you. And so you accept peace and you settle in the land. You can almost imagine this little, uh, or not little now, but this older Hebrew, maybe 50 or 60 years old, who was a child when he, left, when he left Egypt, saw the wondrous works of God, passed through the Jordan River, and he's now sitting at the bank. Of a mountain. He writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they may not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches, from your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted In them, the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make the darkness, and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. In this poem of 35 verses, we can see that there is a trajectory of this psalmist who, again, I, I imagine because he's so, he's steeped like a, like a dark bag of tea, he's steeped in nature. He's looking around and he's, he's imagining the, the mountains and he doesn't have to simply imagine his, in his mind's eye, but he can see them clearly. He sees the mountains and he sees the birds. He can hear them with his, uh, with his ears as they chirp and as they sing songs. He can see the water. And he can see streams running through the valley, meeting up with the ocean, creating a vast expanse. He can see small critters and creatures running to and fro on the rocks and digging into holes. Who knows where they go? He can see these massive trees, the cedars of Lebanon, with, uh, with a thickness you couldn't even hug around. And as he looks at all of these miraculous created things. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. You see, this this psalmist doesn't have to conjure up things or reasons why God is to be considered good or reasons why we're supposed to thank God or or praise His name or, or bless Him. He simply has to stop and look. And so he does, and he, he invites us to do so as well. The problem is with such a, with such a, a, a full text, with such a full passage of, of re- reflecting and meditating on the beauty of God as it's revealed in creation, we are struck with the notion that there's a lot here and not a lot of time to sit in church on a Sunday morning. And woe to us if we, if we recognize that because we, we see, we see the greatness of God. We see how big and how vast he is, how far away he is and how we limited in our time and in our space are forced to simply give him what we can in order to make life continue because we live in a time where we recognize that our time is not our own. It belongs to those around us. It belongs to life, it belongs to work, it belongs to uh, our occupation, it belongs to a hundred different things, and we can't, we can't just sit and meditate with a psalmist. But perhaps as you go throughout this week, you can take a section, you can take a paragraph, or as they call them in a poem, a poem. You can take a poem or a stanza even, a, a full set of verses, and you can meditate on them. You can think about them. You can you can memorize them and look at the creation around you and consider how does the psalmist see the trees and how does the psalmist hear the birds? How does the psalmist look at the mountains and the hills? And how does it show me who God is? This morning I want to take us a little bit into how He does that to maybe give us uh, the the tools, the equipment to use in order uh, as we as we. Tr- Uh, travel throughout the week in order to see how we might bring our souls to praise God, how we might bring our souls to bless his holy name. You can see in the beginning that he starts with almost a a kind of creation account. After he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, O, O Lord my God, you are very great. He starts with things that are revealed to us in the first book of Genesis, the first chapter even. When God creates the heavens and the earth, and he, he creates the earth and it's formless and void, and he sets his spirit to hover over the deep, over the waters, and he says, let there be light, and there is light. Here we can see verse in, at the end of verse 1, you are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching the heavens out like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the water. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers wind, his ministers a flaming fire. If you can remember with me in Genesis 1, when God does create and he creates the earth and it is formless and void, the text says, and his spirit hovered over the deep. His Holy Spirit rests above the waters. And for the ancient Near East, who would have heard the the first words of Genesis, they would have understood that this is a, a creation account, but one which runs counter to the the dominant narrative. You see, there was this idea that that the that the world was formed out of uh, out of a violent, turbulent uh, fight, something between a god and the 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 chaos monster, the Leviathan, the the God that was, uh, there was a good God and there was a bad God, and they fought one another, and eventually one of them ended up on top. He destroyed the chaos monster, and he brought order to the earth. But when Genesis opens up, we don't see God fighting with a sword. We don't see uh, God fighting with ferocity and having to, to wrestle a sea monster down. Instead, God simply speaks. God says, "'Let there be light.'" and there is light. You see, God doesn't need to uh, wield a sword to defeat chaos, but he simply needs to speak his word. Let there be light, and order is brought to the earth. And here the psalmist reflects on this, reflects on this uh, Genesis tradition, on this Genesis story, on, this, on the truth of creation, and he says, God, you are clothed in light. God, you are in the highest heaven. You are above searching out where man cannot go. Man cannot climb the tallest tree and reach where you make your home, but rather you are beyond even the birds in the sky. You are beyond the stars. You are big. You are lifted up. You are where man cannot go. God, you are immense. But God, you are more than just a man. you are more than just clothed in the light of the sun, but rather you make your home by setting the beams on the earth or on the, on the water, in the sea and in the ocean. God, that very thing that man fears, the very ocean that man uh, fears to tread, where, where man dares not go. God, you have set the beams of your home because even if the chaos monster has been defeated simply by your word, man still fears to travel the open ocean on a raft. The waves will overtake us, but God, you have built your home there. The chaos, the roiling waves and water cannot upturn your foundation. You are more solid still. God, where man cannot go, you are there. God, where man dares not go, you are there. And it is your spirit who does so. Your spirit is the one who comes to the earth. Your spirit is the one who creates life. Where the spirit goes, love creates life. And that's our bottom line for today. Where the spirit goes, love creates life. You see, we we look at the, the the creation account in Genesis and we say, well, why did God create anything? And a common answer, for his glory, because he could, because he wanted to. And while that's certainly true, it misses out on a key element of the reason God creates. God creates to love. When you consider the Genesis account, notice what it says, that after the creating of light, God says, and he saw that it was good. After the creating of the waters and the separating of the sky from the rivers and the ocean, God looks at it and he says, It is good. After God creates plants to grow, berries to stain your tongue, God looks at it and says, It is good. After God creates the sun and the moon and the stars, God looks at it and says, It is good after God creates the bear and the opossum and the ostrich and the lizard, he looks at it and he says, it is good. You see, one of the main reasons, probably the main reason that God creates is not simply for glory as an end in itself, but rather because in creating, God can love. Now, God loves forever in the Trinity. God loves, the Father loves the Son, the Father loves the Spirit, the Son loves the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And for eternity, eternity past, God has loved himself, but he has always loved internally. And it took creation for him to love outside of himself. God creates for love. He delights in his creation. He looks on it, and you can almost imagine he smiles. When God looks at creation, he says, it is good. His spirit hovers over the water of the deep, and you can see his spirit acting in creation as even words require breath. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word, the gospel of John says, and here, in this text, Psalm 104, we see that creation itself requires the breath of God as well. As he exhales, love creates life. Where the Spirit goes, love creates life. You see, God has covered himself in light. He has set his home on the ocean and in the sky but he has done more than this. The clouds surround him. The winds uh, beckon his presence. And where he goes, the wind follows, and he makes servants wind with him. Together they go like a, like, a, like a king riding in a cloud chariot. To and fro they travel the earth, and wherever the Spirit goes, love creates life. As he travels the earth in his cloud chariot, you can see the Spirit going. And even in John chapter 3, doesn't Jesus say, where the Spirit goes, nobody knows? We can hear the wind, but we cannot place it. So as we look at God who exists beyond where we can ever go, as we look at God who has set his home where we dare not go, we see that the Spirit we cannot even see where it goes. God is beyond all things, and we have no claim upon him. You can imagine this psalmist as he's sitting at the mountain, a mark of stability, looking upward at the sky and saying, Yes, this, is, this mountain is stable, and I can see where it is. I can rest upon it, and I can know that I'm not being moved. But, God, although you are stable, Although your foundations are set in the ocean, that does not mean that I have a claim on you. I cannot go to the mountain of God and and say that because I have done this thing, God must answer, God must respond. No, God, you go where you want to go. You go where you desire to go. But where you go, love creates life. And so I'm not afraid to look at the God who is both stable and mobile. I'm not afraid to look at the God who is beyond everything and stronger than everything and able to subdue chaos with a mere word, but rather I trust. Because God, I know that you have been good. When you created, you said it was good. And you created mankind as well. You created us to... Live and to enjoy and to look to you for our every good gift. As we look at this psalm, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. The text goes on, but for the sake of time, we have to move beyond the next few verses and go to verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan which you formed to play in it. Can you picture this? Can you see it in your mind's eye as the psalmist reclines against a mountain and he looks out at the ocean and he says, Yes, God, at the beginning you created by the word of your power. You sent your spirit out and your spirit created life. In fact, when you created man, you formed him from the dust and you breathed your spirit into him. That gave him life. But God, you created the ocean. You separated it from the land. He told it where it would go and where it would stop. And yet, God, the sea is still chaos. Leviathan still swims in there. There are monsters that come out. There are dangers on the ocean. And yet, even as he looks out at the ocean and knows that it's a dangerous place, he considers. God, the monster of chaos, you have subdued. And instead of being a fearsome force, he is your servant. He is your creature that you created to frolic in the water. God, the most fearsome thing man can fear, you made to play and bring glory to your name. Even now, ships go out on the water. Even now, ships traverse without fear. Because, God, you have subdued all things and made all things your servant. There is nothing beyond your power, because you are in the highest heaven. There is nothing beyond your power or even your order, because your beams have been set in the ocean. God, there is nothing beyond your vision, because your spirit goes wherever it wants to. God, as humans make play at doing things vast and great, as humans make play at creating cities that will crumble in a century, as humans make play at building ships which can can travel from coast to coast across vast oceans, or even, the psalmist couldn't possibly think, as humans make play at creating rocket ships that blast out of the atmosphere to another planet. God, we can only do so because you subdue chaos. Your spirit goes, and it doesn't allow death to have the final hold. It doesn't allow things to take hold of humanity and drag it below the deep. God, where the spirit goes, love creates life. And you have made Leviathan himself to play in the water instead of to bring treachery upon all mankind. The ocean teeming with creatures innumerable. And all of these, God, you created and said, it is good. Verse 27, these all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. You see, the psalmist doesn't merely look to God as being big, but being intimate. The psalmist doesn't merely look at God as being sovereign in a kind of all nations will bow and all creation is due to me, but also in the sense that even the fish, even the minnows that swim around, even the lizard that flicks its tongue, all of them look to you, God, for their food. I have two kids, four years old and five years old, And not a day goes by where they do not ask why we were at some gardens yesterday and they asked why did God create spiders my answer based on this text is to eat bugs but even the spider relies on food from God's hand Even the spider who spins a web and catches a fly relies on the providence of God to order creation, relies on God to subdue chaos, to allow gravity to work, to bring a breeze, to carry a mosquito into the net. But not so strong a breeze that the web itself would break. Not so strong a breeze that the fence will tip over. The spider, as it spins its web, does so looking to God to provide its food. You see, God is big and God is sovereign, but God is delicate, God is intimate. God is involved in every creation, and the Holy Spirit teaches us this. The wind goes wherever it wants to, and wherever it goes, it creates and sustains life for the sake of love, because it is good, because God is love, and God is good. Verse 29, when you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. When God created man and woman, he breathed life into them. He formed them from the dust He created them in the image of God by breathing his spirit upon them. You may have heard this before, but oftentimes in scripture, the same word for breath is the same word as spirit is the same word as wind. You see this, it's kind of this uh, intangible, or maybe that's the wrong word, tangible, but unknowable, ungraspable. You can't put it in a bottle. It's this kind of notion that God is beyond all apprehension. You can't Grab hold of him. He won't. He won't be contained. He won't be um, limited. Just like you can't grab your breath. Just like you can't hold it in or or put it in a bottle and then and then drink it later as uh, as you run out of oxygen. But rather, it's it's the breath that goes wherever it wants to go. And God decided to put it in you and in me. And when He takes away that breath, you die. When, they take, when you take away their breath, they return to their dust, the psalmist says. You return to the ground and you die. You see, we often think of uh, death as, or rather, uh, that when you die, you don't have any more breath. But the psalmist puts it a different way. The psalmist doesn't say when you die, you have no more breath. He says when you have no more breath, that's when you die. In other words, we are fully reliant on the breath that God gives. We too look to God for our food. We rely on him fully. The wind, the spirit, it breathes life into us. And when God takes it away, we are dead. When you create or when you send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. And here the psalmist brings his poem to a close. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May the meditation, may my meditation be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, bless the Lord. In our last few minutes, I want to draw our attention to verse 20 or 35. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. You see, many of us will take a text like this and we will uh, say: if this whole psalm has been talking about how good God is, how God brings life. Why would he then pray that the wicked be taken away, that they be no more? And we see it as a kind of contradiction, that God couldn't be loving and uh, he couldn't condemn this person. But rather, the psalmist must have been wrong. He must have been mistaken. He must have uh, let his own human influence, his own sin influence the way that he wrote down this psalm, this poem, this scripture. And I would say to you that God... Intends this verse to be in here. You see, I again have two kids and I love them and I would do nearly anything for them. But some things I won't do, I won't let them stand at the top of a bridge and jump. Some things I won't do, I won't let them walk out of the house and meet strangers without me being aware. Some things I won't do, I won't let the older brother hit the younger brother, or the younger brother bite the older brother. And why? Because of love. It's not because I am restraining freedom, although I am restraining freedom. It's not because I uh, am, want to know where they're at at all times because I want to micromanage or helicopter or whatever the case may be, although I do want to know where they're at at all times. But rather, it is because I love them that I look to them and I say, there are certain things I will not allow you to do, and I will not allow to happen to you. Love protects. And so as I look at my two boys, I can say, I love you, and there are things I will not let you do because I love you. What's more and more in line with this text There are things I will not let you become because I love you. I will not let you develop certain habits, certain character practices that draw you away from God and hurt the others around you. Oh, let wickedness perish from the earth. As I look at my two boys and I see them, oh, may sin be put far from you may evil depart forever. God, your spirit goes and it subdues Leviathan itself. God, subdue the wickedness in the earth. Crush it. Cast it out. Put it in the outer darkness that it may never be found again. God, you are good. And where your spirit goes, love creates life. And even as in the Exodus, Sometimes that requires the angel of death to pass over those he has chosen and to bring death to those who would do harm to them. It is not as though God is impatient, for God is wishing that none would perish, but all be brought to eternal life. And yet as we look around us with the psalmist, we can see what God is like. We can see that he is powerful. We can see that he is big, and we can see that he is involved. And for those of us who look at this same God and say, away with you, I will have my own way. I will do what I will. To them, the text of the psalmist here says, let the wicked depart from the earth. When God created the world, he said, it is good, but we broke it with our sin. We damaged it, and we continue to damage one another. We damage it to the point where now Leviathan is on a leash, and he roils in the sea, causing chaos. We damaged it so that even the clouds which which were set in their place, and lightning which would strike where God intended it to, Now it appears as though it strikes haphazardly and causes death. Our sin has done this to us. Our sin. And so if we are willing to say, God, you have been good. God, look at how grand you are. We need also to be willing to say, God, look at the sin in my heart and crush it. God, give me the faith to trust Christ because he took it for me. God, give me the faith to look to Jesus, the perfect man who suffered in my place, who breathed out his last on the cross so that I could breathe in your Holy Spirit and be renewed. God, give me the faith to look to Jesus. God, your Son, Jesus, was the very light of mankind. He entered into the darkness, but the darkness did not understand it. God, give me your Holy Spirit to illumine my heart. Let me see the light of Jesus. God, as I look at creation as I see the good things that you have done, let me recognize that the greatest thing came in the person of Christ and that through your Spirit I can be renewed, that through your love I can be created anew, that I too can have life in Jesus. The Spirit is uncontainable you cannot grasp it you cannot go to where god is and bring him down you cannot go to where his home is and uproot it you are fully reliant on the will of god the spirit of god the wind of god where it goes nobody knows But hear his word. Hear his breath today. Believe and live. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumcorg sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.